Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Nico Lapalusa. This is the Goodwin Podcast. And like always, I appreciate you checking this out. I appreciate you joining me for today's episode. Usually I don't have a plan per se, but today, well, it's official. We'll just say it's official. It's official that um, I've had my had my first nightmare last night and since before being diagnosed with cancer. And the significance of that, uh, I'd like to get into a little bit, um, not breaking down the dr- Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you about the dream. I remember it because it really shook me. Damn, it was it was a it was a full on full on nightmare. Um, now I have been watching it's Halloween season, um, and I've been particularly diving into the Alien series. So you have Alien, Ridley Scott, you have Alien Two, James Cameron, then you have Prometheus, Ridley Scott, and then you have Alien Covenant, Ridley Scott. Um, those are the directors and though they're not particular, like it's monster scary. So monster scary feels a little bit different than like satanic, like the ring, little children being scary is more scary to me mentally, typically, but this dream last night, monster dream and giving you the hyper condensed version in a house, uh, chased by a monster and um i had weapons i had what we- i had means to defend myself but it was one of those dreams where no matter what you did shot him with um 10 arrows you know still still coming after me and then the climax of the dream is um so my mom was with me at some point and we were like in a dining room and there was like four doors around us and we didn't know which, which way the monster was coming, but the monster was present. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going to go get my sword. Went and got, got a sword and I'm like, mom, let's stand back to back. So we know where, where he's coming from. And we're, we're scared. I'm standing back to back. I have a sword in my hand and, um, I perceive the threat. And I start swinging, swinging, slicing, dicing. Only to then come out of the whirlwind of rage and violence to find that I had struck my own mother. I had hurt my own mother and literally woke up from the dream saying, Mom! Mama! And, oh man, it was very scary. And then, so I woke up from a sleeping nightmare to a waking nightmare. Only in my mind, fortunately, this one. But I woke up sweating. And the problem with that is before I was diagnosed with cancer, night sweats and nightmares were a symptom. 
there was something about like it was my one of my first symptoms. People ask me this all the time, and I guess I'm going to share. This can be the cancer episode where I share a little bit about that journey. Um, last podcast I talked about the journey be broke up into three different parts, like the pre-diagnosis, walking around, kind of feeling into it, the diagnosis slash treatment, and now post-treatment. And a lot of people, when I are very interested in what the symptoms were. And I understand that. Like they want to be on the lookout themselves. They want to know what's what's truly a threat and what's what's not. It's not always the easiest to answer because I guess in my mind I feel like, oh, you're, you're caring about yourself when you're asking this question. You don't really care about my journey. You just want to make sure that you're you're safe. And what can, you know, the older I get, what more can I ask for people than to uh, care about themselves through me? That might be that might be one of the best it gets with with uh, the majority of like relationships. Not to be overly pessimistic, and that's not. It's just I, I realize now that if I have one to three or four people that truly care about me, that can put themselves that can put me that, that don't put themselves first all the time in our relationship dynamic. Uh, I'm very fortunate. And I am like I, my parents, they, they have put me before themselves numerous times. I have a girlfriend who does the same as much as she can. Very fortunate. Um, a brother mate. And then that's pretty, you know, that's my four. So unfortunate. So people ask about the symptoms uh, that I was feeling before the diagnosis. And and the, one of the most prevalent symptoms was night sweats. Um, not just like hangover, um, you know, sweating out the alcohol that you drink like hours before type night sweat. It's more like pools of sweat. And then the chills probably come. It's like wetting your bed kind of night sweats. And it was like every night or every other night. And um, and maybe maybe it's because I was a bedwetter growing up too. Oh, no, that's next episode. We'll talk about bedwetting <clears throat> and the significance of that. Um, so, yeah, that was one of the symptoms. Nightmares were one of the symptoms. I remember going to a Vipassana retreat to try to heal myself because I knew something was up. I didn't know the diagnosis. I just knew that I had a cough for a while and um, the night sweats and the nightmares. And it felt like the right time to go and meditate and try to you know heal myself internally. Go to a Vipassana retreat. And uh, the teacher asked me if I'm having nightmares lately. And I said, yeah. Like, how did, like, how did she know that? And I still don't know how she knows that. And, and I asked her, I'm like, why did you ask me if I had nightmares? And she said, oh, it's just one of the general questions we ask. Mm, I didn't hear her ask anyone else that. But that's neither here nor there. So the, so the symptoms were night sweats. Um, I had a cough for a couple months, literally 
definitely a, a couple of weeks a strong cough, but then like a tickle in the back of my throat, coughing a couple times a day over extended period of time. Um, I lost a significant amount of weight. Um, yeah, I was down to like one fifty five, one sixty, and right now I'm like almost two hundred pounds. So I was like 50 pounds lighter than I, I am now. And, um, oh, and then, you know, the cherry on top, what really drove me to go get checked out was my lymph nodes, particularly in my neck were visible, like with the, with the naked eye, like, uh, golf balls, baseballs, almost the size, uh, my lymph nodes swole, swole up to. Um, and, and I tell you all this because, so th- I have the nightmare and I wake up with sweat. I wake up with a night sweat and now I'm triggered. PTSD is triggered. Um, the worry is triggered. Am I, am I getting sick again? I want to stay healthy. Um, when will I learn? You know, because I have fallen a little bit into some patterns that I just I, I I've known for a while that they don't serve me that well. And although I don't know why I got sick, a hundred percent. Um. I still, I still make reasons for getting sick with, with various like habits or I I associate or I create correlations without science, just with uh, self-reflection. And that's dangerous. Like the why, the why I got sick. It has been an important question at times, but there's only so far it can take you until you're just spinning your wheels and you need to start moving forward. Like asking why I got sick, um, it could be literally um, everything, uh, everything leading up to the point of getting ill my brain can draw an association to that as being some sort of um, contributing factor to, to illness. And there's things that people bring up that make sense. You know, some people like to help you find out why. That's another big question. Yeah, what, what caused this, you know? And it's all speculation and people like to speculate. So like um, a few of my favorite speculations are like pesticides um, in the water supply, in crops, in foods I eat. Um, a scientific reason is I did have mononucleosis and white men who have mononucleosis are at an increased risk of having lymphoma. Um, 
it's not really a why as much as like another contributing factor. And it could be a strong one. The thing with all these contributing factors is now I've met people who've also had Hodgkin's lymphoma and some of them didn't have um, mononucleosis. Also people who have drank and eaten similar diets to me, like they've, we've come from the same place. My brother, for example, father, mother, um, and many more people, they don't get sick, you know? Um, and then you, you know, people say it's, it's all disease arrives in the mind. I hang out with enough metaphysical hippies. I say that in the most loving way possible. Um, and that can only bring you so far because I was meditating. I was doing these hallucinogen, like I'm plant medicines, hallucinogens that, um, you know, it made me feel like I was getting my mental health under control. I'm working out. I was working out all the time, doing the yoga, doing the breathing exercises, fasting, um, Yeah, it's, I do have to say before there was, I was expressing my anger a lot more um, leading up to the diagnosis. I don't know if I knew I was getting, I was sick and that stressor um, just made me more irritable or if the irritation and the expression of anger fed into this, to the illness. It's the old, ye old chicken or the egg. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, so that's pre, that's pre-cancer symptoms. I eventually go nine months kind of walking around and then the fatigue. I didn't mention the fatigue. The fatigue was real. I'd walk upstairs and be quite, quite winded. Um, and I remember just always, I mean, I remember thinking like, damn, turning 30, definitely feels different than being 20, like significantly different. And I thought I was just trying to like swing up into like a physical prime, but I'm like, dang, smoking weed for 10 years has been really difficult, like on my body. And yet I'd still, I still partake, um, but after last night, I'm like, fuck. Like, it really shook me. Last night really shook me. And again, and maybe there's it's good to be reshook. Um, maybe I'll remember some of the lessons that I, I was learning during during the cancer times and the and the suffering times. But like I had a couple errands to run this morning. I had to drop off keys somewhere. And I drive there only to realize I don't have the keys. Get back in my car, drive back home to get the keys, only to realize that they were in my hoodie pocket. Drive back, drop the keys off, return home, I left the doors open. So I just want to give you guys a little bit of taste of what you're dealing with uh, in today's episode and, and I guess what I'm what I'm going through. 
yeah it's it's a it's a real shaking of reality to uh consider well i don't want to consider it anymore because ultimately last night i got to a point where i was so worried and and afraid you know sat down meditated sat down did deep breathing this is at like four or five in the morning um and then there's just a point where it's like oh okay i can't be afraid anymore you know time to move forward went into the fear a bit and uh felt into it for as long as i i was willing to until i had enough and then you know now we're moving forward and there's a lot of gratitude um having the opportunity to even share this um even though i don't feel like 100% uh mentally um being able to share this and then post it and there's like something romantic about it being around even if i don't make it this is might be a tough podcast to listen to <laughs> and uh maybe we'll swing it back around or maybe people are just into the uh a more emo it is halloween season so uh this podcast has been a little spooky <clears throat> so that's pre-treatment during treatment you know i'm going to keep that short because there's really only so much you can say like uh chemo is chemo um it's uncomfortable um but it worked for me so um the main discomfort with chemo for me um was the stomach and the nausea and some days were manageable so you'd get I'd get chemo on Tuesday and then I would wait 2 weeks and then get chemo again on Tuesday so chemo on Tuesday and I would feel uncomfortable for about a week maybe sometimes a week and a half like later in this in the treatments weeks 8 um it almost compound and it would take me a little bit longer to recover but i would feel kind of intense nausea for 3 days 4 days 5 days and then um it would kind of taper off 6 days 7 days and then i would feel like back to normal and then i would have chemo the next day so i was you're just kind of always at uh half mass you're always just at um like a lower power physical power and i don't understand how some people if i had to show up to a job every day 9 to 5 um uh, there there would just had to been some days i'd have to call off um i yeah i there's just some days i don't understand how someone with a family and a job um like to to make the worst situation like i i picture like a single mother like going or a single father going through this 
and having to take care of their kids and having to, you know, work at a job that they don't necessarily love. Um, it seems like some days that would have been impossible. And having this conversation with my dad, we actually were starting a, um, a nonprofit organization called Forward 24-7, where there, there are a bunch of costs that aren't factored into healthcare um, that goes into chemo treatment. There's the uh, transportation costs aren't covered. Daycare costs, for example, wouldn't be covered. Uh, food, of course, isn't covered. Um, parking. Some hospitals, you have to pay $20, $30 in parking per hour, maybe. And treatment, it can be six to eight hours. Now, some, now that sometimes that's reimbursed, but, but sometimes it's not. And the fact that sometimes it's not, it's on the list. And um, every cost, you know, matters. You know, you're putting in hundreds of thousands of dollars if, well, without insurance, you're putting in tens of thousands of dollars to be well again. And now also you have to have all your same bills and you have to um, support your, your family. It just doesn't seem possible for someone who isn't as fortunate as I have been. Uh, so this is, this is our nonprofit that we're starting to cover all the costs, um, or, or, or a portion of the costs associated with cancer treatment that aren't factored into uh, health insurance. Um, he's doing some structuring with the legals and uh, uh, there will be an application process and then a stipend process and, uh, and we'll need support, but that's, that's not right now. We're, we're still getting the legals uh, all situated um, so we can move forward, forward 24-7. That's the name he decided on. I like it. And it makes sense for this because there is only so much reflection you can do before you just have to kind of move forward. So that's during treatment. And an interesting thing during treatment is for me was that in that like super suffering place, because there was some, there was some times where all I can do was feel the discomfort in my body. It was so overwhelming, the discomfort, that it's like all my attention was there. But having that hyper-focus, having that hyper-selfishness of only being able to focus on myself and how I felt, for some reason, it freed up the others around me. It gave me more patience. It gave me more kindness. Um... And more sensitive to other people's and more empathetic, more sensitive to my impact on them, um, potential suffering that they were facing and not wanting to exacerbate that. So in this most, this like deep selfish place, there was a selflessness associated with it. Like this paradoxical like existence. And, and I have this thesis that the paradox is ultimately true. If you take anything or any concept to its utmost, it becomes its opposite. Um, that'll need examples um, like loyalty, a virtue. Uh, if you take loyalty to its, you know, its its furthest, then you might be 
disloyal to yourself. You might be disloyal to your heart or your beliefs. Um, you may be doing things that you don't ultimately believe in and betraying yourself um, or betraying the other even. It's like uh, there's there's a lot of examples and maybe you guys can think of some and put some in the comments, but um, this is like a thesis I walk around with. And it's not, you know, it's not too far-fetched. It's basically the yin and yang are like, they make one thing. So it's just kind of saying that again. And um, in, yeah, so during this, during treatment, there was like a gentleness. There was definitely a humility maybe that uh, was actually a positive. Um, and I remember at times just, there were some days that I would say cancer is the best thing that happened to me. Uh, during treatment and um, I'd write things down because I'd want to remember the lessons that I was learning like in real time of being in this kind of like dark place and uh, so that's that was kind of like a during treatment thing and and now I'm post-treatment and post treatment has cuz when okay when you're when you're in the treatment you're kind of doing you're actively fighting you're actively combating the disease and there's a little bit of relief in that it's like uh you're taking the steps necessary or you're feeling i felt like i was taking the steps necessary to be healthy um and that was like enough to give myself permission to kind of be a little bit more uh, gave myself permission to just kind of relax and be patient with myself. Um, but now that treatment's over and I'm not taking those explicit steps of like of treatment, um, now am I doing enough has like crept back in. Um, am I doing the right things to stay healthy? Um, so it's kind of like the mind game has like the plot has thickened in my mind. Um, and it's a, it's a special kind of hell, you know, all of these different phases of the, of the cancer treatment, uh, were like, can be viewed at as, uh, as a hell. I did talk about how there was like a, a light or a, a heaven, I guess, um, at the center of the hellscapes. Um, and I guess the silver lining or the heaven, uh, in the post treatment is this anxiety of, am I doing everything that I can to be healthy? It, um, it's, it helps me share this podcast. Um, it helps me share like unabashed, like not, not ashamed. Uh, so a little bit more, more braver, bravery, a little bit more urgency. Um, and at times, a bit more appreciation for being healthy because I can contrast it to being like unable, um, not disabled, but like, man, I don't know during chemo, like pretty much disabled, like some days, like I just, I, my capacity wasn't like tested. F um, 
like besides me testing myself, like even during chemo, I'd make sure I'd go for a hike like every day. Um, and you know, I, I didn't know if I was going to make it out. I didn't know if I was healthy or clear. So gratitude every day, but I'd still do, I'd still like rake leaves and jump on the trampoline and even try to lift weights. And, uh, but to be off of treatment and like my body has returned, my power has come back in a way, um, speed, a little agility. Like I'm, I feel more athletic when I'm training jujitsu and, um, and stronger. And, uh, maybe I've gotten less humble and less gentle like I was during maybe I have forgotten a little bit of the lessons with the uh, sense of external power returning to me hmm but here we are remembering <clears throat> so that's kind of the cancer journey that's what's coming through today um, yeah, my, my, uh, my personal, personal journey. And I'm sure it's way different for some people. There's lots of different chemotherapies out there. Uh, the chemotherapy I did was specific to Hodgkin's lymphoma and, um, it's called ABDV for those who are in the know. And, uh, it was four chemotherapies uh, in put into my body. Actually, I, I was given a port. I didn't, I, you know what there? So there was three surgeries along the way and those were also bad. I say, don't get surgery if you don't need it. Like I, my collarbone's still out of place from an injury I had before all this. And it'll, it's, it'll stay that way. It's not limiting. It's not limiting my function. Um, I can still be athletic and play sports and, uh, and just going under the knife is like, is a real thing. Like getting cut open is a thing. And the first surgery I had, I'm like, uh, I didn't want to go under, I didn't want anesthesia. So they gave me the, I'm like, I want local anesthetic. And they're like, are you sure? I was like, yeah. And, uh, it was a biopsy of, to, this was to, make sure that they got the diagnosis correct. It was like, they already knew something was up. They already thought through my blood work and through my symptoms that it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, but they needed to take a piece of a, of a lymph node and, and, uh, see exactly what type it was. So the first surgery, oh, no anesthetic, highly regret that they put me on a table and they like this particular surgeon, covered my face so like i had plastic bags and linings on my face not bags but plastic linings and then like surgical cloth like on my face and this was just exposed just my neck they gave me a shot in the neck and then i mean if you've had novocaine similar to that it was lidocaine um and then they cut open your neck you feel it and then you hear the metal and the sound of the scissors and you know that it's cutting your body and your neck. If, and my neck is so vulnerable. Ugh. So you hear that. That's one thing. You feel the metal. You feel the pressure. 
And then they cauterized the wound. They burned, they burned me up and I straight up felt that. And they cauterized the wound. I was like, ah, ouch, ouch. Please stop, please stop. And then the apathetic, I'm sorry by the, the surgeon felt like a robot. There was nothing like warm or kind. I think he was translucent white with like white blonde hair and eyebrows and like gray eyes. That's how I remember him. And I'd be like, ah, ah. And he'd be like, I'm sorry. Two seconds later. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like no country for old men. Javier Bourdain. Bourdain. Like just cold killer. That's how this <laughs> surgeon felt. So I finally get the wound cauterized. And I'm and this is like I'm fragile as heck. I don't I'm pretty sure I have cancer. No one's told me exactly that I had it at this point, but you know, you know. I knew at that point. Um and I remember he cauterizes the wound, all the all the the bad feelings seem to stop. He takes the wrapping off my face pretty much. And uh, I think he's like, how are you doing? And <laughs> it's so embarrassing, but but I was just so vulnerable, such a little child. I was like, this is just the beginning, isn't it? That's what I said. So dramatic. A tear in my eye. This is just the beginning, isn't it? And he said, you'll be fine. And then he leaves. And then I cry for like, yeah, long enough. Oh, so that's surgery number one. Surgery number two, they had to put a port in my chest. And uh, I don't know if you all can see some wounds there. So the port basically, instead of giving the chemotherapy through your arm where there's more risks involved, they put like a port under your skin and they run a tube into your heart pretty much into um aorta not i don't know one of the veins or arteries that goes to the heart uh, so that they can put the treatment directly into your bloodstream and it can be dispersed through the body there's less chance of leaking apparently so that one uh i got put on like think tramadol and uh, the one that's famous that really messes with people oxycotton and i kind of get why people you know go in on that stuff it's a very effective medicine medicine at for surgery for example for if you need to get cut open and i remember I remember that surgery. So you don't go full under. It's kind of like a twilight, I think they call it. And I was laying on the table. They have to make a cut here, a cut here, feed the tube and do all the things, place the port. And um, he gives me some and he and uh, I can feel it and I feel pretty chill. 
and I don't feel pain. It just feels like a good, like no worries, cozy blanket feeling. Um, and then he starts talking to me. He's like, uh, he's like, how you doing? And I remember being very like with it. I'm like, I'm doing fine. Even though he's cutting me open at the time. And, and he's like, okay, give him more, give him th- three more units of tramadol or codone. So they give me more and I'm like, yo, feels pretty good. But I don't feel like I still don't go under. Like I made, I wanted to stay with it. I wanted to like feel into what that experience felt like, what that drug feels like. And so I, like, I stayed present and like kept my eyes open. They didn't cover my face this time. So I learned that they didn't have to completely like suffocate me like the first surgeon did. Um, and it was a really similar area that they were working on. And, um, he asked me again, how you doing? And I answered again, I'm doing pretty good. Something casual like that. And he gives me more <laughs> of the, of the sauce and, I never fully went out. I just kind of always felt pretty relaxed and and good and not super high at all. Um, It felt pretty clean, but I kind of also understood why people would want to chase this feeling a little bit. Um, It's, yeah, really strong anti-anxiety acceptance, needing nothing more, you know, than just the feeling of comfort. It's just like the, the grand chase of comfort um pretty much into one experience into those those surgical medicines Um, and that's probably as far as they should be taken so that's surgery number two they put a port in go through the full cycles of of chemo um and then the third surgery was taking the port out and (laughs) That was just, I get to the hospital. This is full COVID swing now. So I'm, of I'm course, by myself. And the surgeon comes in and he's like, uh, starting to explain to me what a port is. And he's like, yeah, this is why we put a port in. Um, do you want to see it? And I'm like, well, I've had one in my chest for six months. I'm not really interested in seeing it. And he's like, oh, this is a port removal? I thought we were putting a port in and I was like, ha, 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 ha. yeah, it's a port removal. He's like, Oh, this should be a piece of cake. Okay. So they put me on this, on the surgery table again, local anesthetic, just lidocaine. Cause I didn't want to keep chasing the dragon. You know, um, I asked not to be put fully under, um, And because this one was a little easier, it was one incision and they just kind of like pull it out. So he's cutting me, he's doing the cutting thing. I'm on the surgery board and he starts small, he starts talking to me about stranger things. And it didn't seem like he was doing this to alleviate. I, I didn't want him to talk to me. Look, you have a job, you're cutting me open. I don't care about the TV shows you're watching. Maybe I care if you got good sleep last night. Like like me, I don't think I should do surgery today based on my nightmares last night and leaving the door open and, and forgetting and remembering the keys and all the, all the signs of 
Like I probably shouldn't, today wouldn't be a good surgery performing day. So maybe I care about how you slept. Maybe I care about, are you hydrated? But I don't want you to make small talk with me while you're cutting me open, especially, and I can't capture the condescending and like the tone of it all. Um, And I'm sure there's a lot of comedy in there if I can figure out how to like structure the experience. But I do remember, look, there was a surgical nurse there and he's like, yeah, Stranger Things is pretty weird, right? And I, I thought he, I didn't think he was talking to me. Like, why would he be talking to me? But then again, why would he be talking about a TV show while he's performing surgery on me? So I look at the nurse and she she goes, <laughs> like, like, she's tripping out too. Because this guy, it just doesn't make any sense. And then he starts talking about my previous surgery. And he's like, why would the surgeon do the stitch work upside down? And I didn't know at the time. But the the surgeon before him did the stitch upside down because it leaves a nice flat scar. It leaves a nice flat surface. How he sutured me up is like a like a bulbous, like bumpy scar, and it itches like every day. So wouldn't recommend him. I don't remember their name, but uh, but this is the Halloween episode. This is definitely the Halloween episode. And what else is spooky? How about politics? Why don't we why don't we why don't we put a bow on this on this podcast talking a little bit about politics? You guys can know where I stand with, with certain things and you can get mad at me. Because how I'm gonna probably what I'm gonna share, it's like both sides will be mad at me, pretty much. Um like for the I still have to be fully convinced that it matters and it's not predetermined or just a a veneer puppet show, Um, you know, putting straw men for us to get mad at while powers that be continue to hold power and continue to push um, world dynamics however they wish. Just with this um, straw man of a president, straw person. So I still have to be fully convinced that my vote and and that the vote legitimately counts. Like that people are, like it's counted. And that, and the whole electoral college thing, um, uh, it's not just a general election um, when you get the electoral college involved and how that can sway uh, an election, it just doesn't seem to add up. Um, it just seems to be a, a system to keep people pacified like they are actually they actually have power, which is is made up of nothing. So that's that that is still unfortunately my take on voting. I would love for it to matter and um, I justify it by saying, like, I vote every day with dollars. I vote every day with intention. And, um, you know, how I choose to pray or give energy or talk. And I don't always like how I vote, but I vote nonetheless. That's how I justify it. But as far as, like, political voting, um, maybe 
I, I could definitely be convinced to vote locally and participate more locally. Uh, and I think maybe as I, if I, as I get older, um, participating more in local things, local initiatives, local politics, understanding who the candidates are and putting that person in a position to make decisions, that seems more righteous or uh, more effective than voting for a celeb, you know, our celebrity, our representative, basically, uh, to the world. Now, all that being said, I, I'm in Wisconsin. This is Trump country. There are Trump signs everywhere. I took friends on a boat uh, one time uh, during the summer, and it coincided with a Trump rally on the lake. Massive amounts of boats were driving with Trump flags honking their horns, causing a ruckus. We were like in our boat, like in the middle, like rocking and rolling. Like, oh, this is this is like such a metaphor for the discord that. And I was with a bunch of like liberal leaning people, and like, and it seemed like a, a, a metaphor, uh, and only propelled the distaste for Trump. But I, I'm in Trump country, and I can see the appeal as a man who values freedom and a sense of freedom. Um, and I'm not saying this is what he gives, but this is the kind of the talk, the kind of talk that he uses. Just, just take the masks, for example, like that language appeals to me. Putting a mask on does feel like a muzzle. It does feel like an infringement on my, um, on my rights and my sense of freedom, especially for a flu-like virus that takes less people than any like abortion, uh, suicide, cars, uh, accidents. Like it seems hyper politicized, and that doesn't even seem like they're hiding it anymore. I'm not saying the virus isn't real. It, it could. It is a real virus. It does take people's lives. It does make people sick. But its origins, I still am unclear about. Like Trump will say, yes, this was made in a Wuhan lab. And there's evidence that supports that. Um, and that seems authentic. And like drain the swamp and like I'm different than a politician. That stuff has an appeal. It does have an appeal to me. Um, saying how Biden's had 50 years to make it, uh, make these differences and not, and he hasn't done so. Like that there's an appeal there. All that being said, if I was to vote, I would still vote for Biden. And the reason is, is environmental. Deprivatizing prisons is a huge one. That's basic human rights. That's basic liberty, pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness decriminalizing cannabis, allowing people to have sovereignty. It's one step closer to people having sovereignty over their own consciousness. That's very important to me. A woman's right to choose seems important to me. It's, it's, it's not important to me in terms of like, I'm pro 
life or pro-choice more one more than the other. It's just it is the leave that to women. Like that's a that the women need to decide that for themselves. And it seems that the liberal side allows that choice to be given to women. Maybe. Again, I still need to be convinced that all this matters and it's not all just a straw man thrown in our face to create a divide and to create more fear and, and divisiveness um, to get control. I still have to be convinced of that. And then thirdly, maybe Kanye. Straight up. Listen to a Kanye podcast today with Joe Rogan, a portion of it. And he's crazy, like a f- like and all over the place, but he actually seems to be more anchored by exposing the crazy and like how his mind goes all over. I can actually like relate and he might be the best choice straight up. And I actually can see him being in the office, maybe not now, but in the future. Maybe not 2020, but maybe, I mean, he's still pretty young and I can see it happening. And maybe if the principles of love that he was talking about are able to transfer to a style of leadership, it might create a positive ripple. (laughs) So uh, I can't like, so I might vote for Kanye is what I'm saying. Listen to the podcast and he's all over the board and he's definitely has worked with mental issues, but I have too. And it doesn't mean I shouldn't lead. It doesn't mean I should lead a country. I'll start by leading this podcast, but it's, I'm most worried about people who's, who hide their shadows so good that those are the scariest people to me. People who can show that they have a shadow side, can acknowledge it, can even talk about it. I'm more comfortable with those people because they have a level of self-awareness and they're not hiding. They're not tangling webs of lies and hiding stuff, which seems more scary to me. So this has been the Halloween episode. This is... This is definitely the spookiest episode that I could possibly think of. And uh, I I look forward to a lighter episodes in the future, maybe a little fun, maybe a little a little more um, practical help and insight. Um, but this is the Halloween episode. And thank you so much for being here. You can be anywhere in the world and you're here watching this. This is the best day of my life because it's the only day I got. And I want you to have a great day. Thanks again. I'll see you guys next time.